but evolutionary technologies or innovation is more typical in what you commonly see. And that means you're taking a product and you're creating different solutions that solve problems that people are still experiencing with the current technology. Welcome to the My Future Business Show, where we get you in front of your best audience and keep you there. Not only are we interviewing the biggest names in business to help you become even more successful, we're inviting you to book your spot on the show to help you grow your business. So at the end of the call, make sure you fill in the interview application form at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. Hello and welcome back to the My Future Business Show. My name is Rick Nusky. I am your host. If this is your first time, thank you very much for joining us. It's wonderful to have you here. And if you have been supporting the show for any length of time, thank you so very much for your support and your feedback. It's wonderful knowing that the show is making a difference for you. Now, on today, I'm with the wonderful Ron Richard. How are you, Ron? I'm doing well. Now, Ron, for everybody who is on the call with us, he's a certified medical consultant. Uh, He's the founder and owner of BLD Medical Consulting. And we're going to be talking about the importance of innovation and developing new products to improve outcomes in the medical field. And we're going to be talking about how to get your inventions to market and the global reach of medical innovation and job creation. And importantly, about his book, Someday is Today. Wow, that's a lot to get through, isn't it, Ron? (laughs) It's a mouthful. (laughs) Well, look, uh, you and I were talking just briefly uh, um, about the the name of your business, and we're obviously going to take a a, a lot deeper look into your business, but it's customary for us, Ron, to spend a a moment or two learning a little bit about you. I'm wondering if we can uh, do a little bit of that and find out where you live. Yeah, well, I'm currently living uh, outside of San Diego, uh, California, and I live up in uh, an area where there's 60 different wineries, uh, somewhat like Napa, but a little bit drier and a little bit warmer here. But uh, a bit about me is I, uh, I've been in the healthcare industry since 1973. I started, uh, started my career as a respiratory therapist and a paramedic, and I worked in a teaching hospital for about eight years. And upon leaving the hospital, I got interested in uh, getting into selling medical equipment. Mm-hmm. And that took me uh, on a long journey all over the world. I've worked and lived uh, in Europe, and actually, I uh, lived and worked in Sydney, Australia. Oh, so uh, there you go. I've been fortunate enough to, uh, yeah, get experienced and uh, exposed to a lot of different cultures and, and people over the last. Uh, probably 30, 40 years. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I wonder if we can go back a second. Do you like wine? Uh, yes, I do. I very much, in, when I was working in uh, in Australia, in fact, I, that's where I really got uh, kind of an education about different kinds of wine. Oh, yes. As you know, in, in Australia, uh, outside of Sydney, there's some really fantastic vineyards. Mm, well, you'd be familiar with McLaren Vale. That's where I live. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's a big that's a big area where they make some fantastic uh, reds and whites. Oh yeah, absolutely, that's for sure and certain. Now you have a very colourful life, and it's one that's been well lived. And uh, I, I loved finding out some more about you because I like to spend some time, um, you know, learning as much as I can, or at least as much as the internet will allow me to learn. And I uh, I love the fact you're involved with a, a band called the Bud Rose. I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that uh, pastime. 
Yeah, I've been touring and playing music with a number of different bands, uh, but about four years ago, I had just left a band that uh, we toured and done quite a bit of work, and I wanted to get involved with uh, more of an organic uh, sound and and with a band that uh, was doing mostly original. So, uh, yeah, about four, a little over four years ago, I met Jason Farthing, who uh, started the Bud Rose, mm-hmm. and uh, his stepdaughter, Macarena, uh, was the lead singer. So, definitely stripped down. We were a three-piece band, and uh, he made all of his own instruments from cigar boxes. Yeah, I noticed. And gasoline cans, and... Uh, the band really focused a lot of attention and energy on writing songs uh, about bootleggers and about the, uh, you know, the, the time in our history where alcohol had been uh, you know, prohibition and all that type of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the songs focus on uh, whiskey and uh, whiskey runners and bootleggers. And uh, I contributed and helped write a few songs for our last record, which we just put out called Chicken Fight. And uh, anyway, when COVID hit, all of our uh, shows were canceled, like a lot of bands. And unfortunately, uh, uh, or fortunately for me, I turned my attention and the extra time I had to write my my current book. But yeah, if you can check out The Bud Rose, and uh, a Bud Row is a slang term for someone that's your buddy or your friend from down south. In uh, Louisiana or Mississippi, uh, that's a common term when somebody says that's my friend they call them that uh, they would say that's my bud row oh fantastic thank you very much for sharing now, you know i love the sound it's raw you know it's real and it's uh, it's it just it just gets to you as soon as you start listening you're tapping your feet and you're getting into it so it's a real credit to you i love listening to it how long did it take you to learn uh, the harmonicas and which one is your favorite harmonica or flute uh well i play i Harmonic is probably my first instrument. I started playing it when I was in uh, junior high school. You're really good at it. Played with a lot of blues bands and grew up uh, listening to Bob Dylan and John Mayall and and bands from England, but also the U.S. and just really got uh, tuned into particularly liking uh, Mississippi and Chicago style blues. And then I picked up the flute and I play saxophone as well. And uh, I also play percussion and then do lead and backup vocals. The man of uh, many talents, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Given that, uh, you know, things have changed in our world and, and there's restrictions uh, uh, everywhere, so it seems at the moment. Do you, you obviously got a lot of time to, I guess, reflect. You've obviously written a book. Do you have uh, time for, for movies? Do you like that sort of thing? For what? What's that again? For movies? Do you enjoy movies? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I love I love movies. Uh, my wife and I are avid uh, movie watchers, and we uh, we tend to kind of gravitate towards things that are on Netflix and uh, in prime time or prime here, uh, mostly series. You know, yeah. shows that have been produced by Amazon or by Netflix. Yeah, really they're good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. We could only, we, you and I could only wish that we had uh, shares in Netflix, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately sold mine too soon, but yeah. you know, we invested in Netflix uh, a few years ago, and I wish I would have kept at least part of the stock. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, uh, are, you a, like, are you a like a pet lover? Do you, do you have pets in your life or not? 
Uh, we have two dogs, a golden doodle and a shih tzu. So yeah, I, I, we've always had dogs yeah. around, and uh, yeah, we really love uh, love having our dogs with us. Yeah, our uh, yeah, our furry friends certainly make a difference in our in our world. Now, um, you've talked a little bit about your life. I'm wondering if we can go way back and uh, you know unravel the story from when you were a child. And um, can you remember? one where you were living when you were growing up that gave you the most fond memories and what was one of those memories Mm. i well my dad was in the air force so we moved around a lot i lived in 18 different places uh, growing up so i but i'd go back to uh, i remember we were living in california my dad got transferred to fort worth texas for uh, to a military base and uh, I think I was, at the time, nine years old, and uh, I had never had any inkling about music. And someone at my school, uh, a parent, approached my mom and said, you know, would your son like to try out for the Texas Boys Choir? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> my mom <laughs> said, well, I don't know. He sings at church. Maybe, you know, that might work out. And I'm not even knowing anything about the Texas Boys Choir. I went ahead and went to a... A rehearsal or a tryout, and uh, I got selected to to sing in the in the uh, choir. Which then, after you know, I kind of we moved away, and I look back on that. That was really how I got started, uh, and how I really fell in love with music. Is uh, I learned how to dance, I learned how to sing, and mm-hmm. do we did Broadway musicals. So it was a great experience for me, and uh, I always look back on that. It's kind of the starting point for me getting into music. I, I wonder, you know, a, a lot of times when we're growing up, we, we don't necessarily have a problem with confidence, but do you think uh, that experience helped build yours? Oh, most definitely, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I grew up, you know, after having moved around as much as we did, hmm. when we could be in a, in, a, in a city for maybe six months and then my dad would get transferred. So I grew up kind of introverted and, and a bit shy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful. I love to hear this sort of thing because people get a lot of value out of, you know, knowing how life's experiences can positively um, affect change. Now you talked about your your father, um, and now I wonder early on did did he motivate you? And beyond him, were there any other people in your life that you know uh, you looked up to? Yeah. Well, in in my in the preface of the book, I actually dedicated this book to my dad. Mm-hmm. He was a, an inventor and uh, an electrical engineer. And I remember coming home from school one day and my dad was in the kitchen and he was literally building his own stereo uh, equipment uh, with circuit boards and everything. And uh, he loved Ground music up. as well. Yeah. And uh, had a great, vinyl record collection and I got exposed through him to listening to everything from Dixieland jazz to blues to to country and uh, so I I had a lot of respect and looked up to my dad but his father also uh, was a man that he moved uh, my my father moved to the United States when he was five uh, with his dad from Switzerland Mm -hmm. and uh, my grandfather uh, was a, a shrewd guy is a good investor uh when he moved over to the united states he ran a dairy farm for a company based out of chicago and ended up investing and buying a lot of real estate in the town that he lived 
and uh, we used to have a lot of great fun together. And he was the first person I ever took a trip outside the United States with, and he took me to Switzerland, and we, we had a great time together. That's excellent. You know, we need those sort of people are in our lives. I, I, I think to myself, you know, you've obviously got a, an inventive mind because of the exposures you've had. Um, and I'd love to talk about that in terms of how, how you go about your day thinking about those things. But from a, I guess from a personal perspective, what's, um, what's a day look like for you typically? Uh, usually, well, I get up and, uh, have a quick breakfast and then I'm on calls like you just, uh, with a whole variety of different types of people, everything from CEOs to clinicians, doctors. Uh, you know, today I've had a wide variety of different people that I've talked to in, in addition to a couple of guitar players that I'm working with here and now mm-hmm. on some different, different music. But yeah, you know, I typically have a pretty busy schedule and I still work full time, even though I'm, I just turned 68. So um, I'm hoping to continue to work as long as I can, you know, God willing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Spring chicken, they say. Uh, now you know you talked about uh you know all of these things that are happening and i know full well that uh your health is important to you how important uh, for everybody's listening ron how important is it to have relaxation time away from your business oh gosh it's super important um my background as i kind of told you has been in the area of sleep medicine Mm mm-hmm and I worked for ResMed, which was founded and based out of Sydney. And uh, they, they were a primary driver and inventor of a lot of sleep devices. And I used to own and operate sleep labs. And I can tell you the people that would come in that had uh, terrible time sleeping, like with insomnia, were people that were typically very stressed out. And it, it had a severe impact, I could tell, on their ability to go to sleep or to stay asleep and they were insomniacs so being able to relax it's hard for people to kind of shut down their frontal cortex and and just kind of take a deep breath but uh, that's what you have to do and that's what music kind of does for me it helps me kind of detach myself from the medical industry which is very intense business to be in but uh, music uh, is a big help. So I always tell patients or tell people if they can get a hobby uh, like golf or go bike riding or something that you have to focus on and pay attention, that'll help you relax uh, in addition to maybe getting getting good habits, um, you know, for sleeping is turn off your phone, you know, don't put a phone by your bed, don't watch TV really late at night or play computer games, but try to unwind and uh, maybe read a book or, yeah. or uh, just do some yoga or just some meditation before I think, you go I think we're all guilty of that in a way, aren't we, yeah. to some level? Um, we are, and before you know it, you're just rushing ahead to uh, to get a bunch of things done that really don't, at the end of the day, matter that much, you know, and, so... And I think there's a lot of people on this call that, you know, are stressed and are overwhelmed. I've spoken to hundreds of people and I've learned so much. And uh, if it's not through the guests, it's through, you know, vicariously the, the people that they work with, that they do these things and they don't they don't really stop to, to think about the impact that technology is actually having on them. But so thank you very much for sharing. Now, Ron, I know that you're a certified medical consultant, but I wonder what does it take to get 
to that position, what do you have to do to become a certified person? Uh, it's a combination of years of experience and uh, the degrees that you have. Um, mm. You know, essentially, yeah, it's a combination of number of hours you've worked specifically in different fields, and uh, you have to have a, a varied background. You can't just be all business. Yeah. Uh, you can't just be, you know, uh, just one lane. Uh, it's multiple different lanes in order to get a certification uh, mm -hmm. as a medical consultant. And then, uh, you know, it's then from there, it's building a reputation and, uh, you know, client list and referrals and all those types of things. Now, you have a varied background um, from marketing, sales, digital web design, and over, you know, and so on and so forth. Has that all been a positive contributor to, to your success, do you think? Mm, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, my career, maybe not unlike a lot of other people, you get started in one thing and you think, well, maybe you're going to do that for the rest of your life. But, you know, fortunately for me, everything I've done in the past has led to what I'm now doing in the future. And I kind of look at them as stepping stones or bridges. Mm -hmm. And they've been, fortunately for me, link, linked, linked up to uh, my past is linked up to things that I'm doing now currently. Uh, like I never envisioned uh, back in the 1980s that I'd ever have any involvement in telemedicine or telehealth and I was a CEO of a company that uh, we just completely focused all of our energy and attention on telemedicine and connecting doctors remotely with patients that were in uh, drug rehab facilities so it was a unique use case but that lent itself uh, to me in the future taking on some work with Qualcomm and uh, you know expanding my experiences in the telemedicine telehealth uh, field. And that's, uh, is it now all sleep and respiratory related work that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Right now I'm involved with a company uh, in San Diego and we're getting ready to launch a new high flow therapy device that uh, specifically can help and treat COVID uh, patients that are oh, suffering from uh, upper respiratory conditions. Yeah, it's very exciting, and uh, you know, you'd mentioned something uh, a bit ago about anxiety and stress. What have you found in terms of talking to people and how COVID has impacted their anxiety or stress levels? Oh, look, you know, there's there's two. I think there's two schools of thought. There's the um, the people that are, are anxious about it, and there's the I guess um, people who don't necessarily know if it's true or not. Um, you know, and I think in both camps, the the feedback that I'm getting, the impression I'm getting is that the anxiety is there regardless of their mindset around it. Um, yeah, so that's that's basically the, the gist of the feedback that I'm getting. Um, mm -hmm. But if people are managing it. Uh, it. It's almost become a new kind of normal, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. That's uh, Unfortunately, that's true in a lot of uh, parts of the world. Now, um, Ron, I'd love to, to talk about uh, your award. Your, you were awarded the Home Care Post of the Year in 2004. Tell us about that. Oh, gosh, that was quite a, an honor uh, because I was recognized by the peers in my field and by the industry for being uh, a strong advocate for uh, patients 
meaning that uh, not being patient, <laughs> rather, <laughs> I'm not very patient, but for patients, people that are suffering from uh, a whole host of different conditions yeah. and diseases. And I, for years, would go to Washington, D.C. and uh, present to uh, insurance companies and reimbursement uh, agencies the need for better coverage and reimbursement for people who had sleep disorders or respiratory uh, diseases. And I was fortunate enough to get uh, broader coverages and, and more reimbursement to cover uh, the expenses that uh, patients experience from those types of disorders. So uh, I was uh, given that award and it was a big honor. Yeah, fantastic. So credit to you. I, um, I, I'd love to, if we could, we, we hear about this idea, this word innovation. And I hear it so often, but oftentimes people don't really have a grasp of what it means. I'm wondering, I guess, what your interpretation is of that word and how it applies in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, innovation to me, there's when I work with clients and I talk with them and they say, oh, I've got this innovative new product uh, that I just, it's, I think it's a home run. And I ask the follow-up question is, do you think it's evolutionary or revolutionary? And uh, some people ask the question, well, what do you mean? What's evolutionary versus revolutionary? Well, to me, revolutionary innovation is something that just is drastically different than the core technologies that are available on the market. And oftentimes, revolutionary technologies, it takes a long time for people to understand it or adopt it or to get the cost down. But evolutionary technologies or innovation is more typical in what you commonly see. And that means... You're taking a product and you're creating different solutions that solve problems that people are still experiencing with the current technology. So the evolutionary innovation is easier to adopt. It's easier for people to grasp onto because they've already had an experience with the current technology. And when they see your product, they have that aha moment that they go, ah, this is this is the next step in the evolution of XYZ therapy or uh, the, the medical device that I was using, I was happy with. I'm glad you came up with this other feature or these other benefits. We talked a little bit earlier about your daily routines, Ron, and um, given that you have a brilliant mind for innovation, do you, how, do you, how, do, how do ideas come to you? Do they come through other people? Do you wake up of a, of a nighttime startled and needing to grab a, a pen and some paper? How does it happen for you? That happens more with my songwriting. Uh, when I get an idea for a song, yeah, I grab a piece of paper or a notebook and start writing down lyrics. But for the products I've developed, uh, you know, I've got 17 patents, and uh, I, I've developed and launched over 45 or 50 innovative products over my career, generating wow. sales of almost $2 billion. That's incredible. Those, those products that I was the most successful in terms of launching Yep. And, uh, and getting to market were born from firsthand experience of working with patients and clinicians mm-hmm. uh, and, and looking again, going back to my uh, explanation about innovation, innovating and coming up with products that solve problems. Yeah. And that's really the home run right there. And depending on how many problems you can solve or how bad the problems are, that's going to uh, basically formulate into a successful uh, product launch and to uh, obviously sales after the launch. But 
that that's typically how I've been successful, and that's part of the that's a big part of my book, actually, too. If you look at fantastic, I you talked about having relationships before, and you know it's not just one path that you've uh, walked down to get to this point. So you must have a lot of uh, relationships with designers um, and developers to to bring these new 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 products to market. Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, th- well, in order to d- do the job or do the work that I do, I have to know like mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and most lately I've gotten to become quite close friends with uh, engineers who have rapid uh, prototyping types mm-hmm. of uh, technologies. So, for instance, when I was building prototypes about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it would take three or four days uh, to make a part. And now I can talk to a a rapid prototyping engineer and have a workable part done in about three hours. It's amazing. So yeah, the technology for rapid prototyping and 3D modeling has just made huge advancements, which helps speed up product development and uh, testing concepts and all the, all those things that go into that. Are you talking yeah, about yeah. additionally the 3D printing uh, of primary uh, like uh, prototypes? Yes, yes. Yeah, not, amazing. Not, not just the plastic parts, but you can get parts now that you can run off of a 3D printer uh, that are that are just so, uh, they're almost exactly what, what you would use for a production line finished product. So it gives you a really great look and feel, uh, and it gives you the capability of testing something almost as if it was going to be what you're going to go to market with. So you get that. I, I think you get some really great experience and knowledge from uh, working with uh, rapid prototyping tools now. So with the, uh, you know, almost the compounding effect of your knowledge and experience, when you come up with a prototype and you're working with skilled professionals who have had a lot of experience as well, do you find that the rework or redesign um, part of all this process is being reduced because you're just getting better at it? Yeah, definitely. I, I see there's a lot fewer mistakes that are made, uh, mm. less money that has to be spent then on, uh, you know, developing multiple prototypes to get to your end, end point or end goal. And that's based on a combination of experience and also the advancement we talked about in 3D printers and, and, and modeling. Um, so, you know, it, yeah, it's just a combination of the years of experience that I've had in addition to all the new tools that are out there. So I guess the, um, when, you, when you're ready to go to market, it, you, you obviously have a number of relationships there as well. Is, is that how that works or do you go directly to companies or? Yeah, there's a couple different pathways. Uh, most recently with this new product I'm launching, I, I'm working with specialty stocking distributors that have strong relationships with hospitals and respiratory therapy departments. Fantastic. And, so uh, so they, they know the doctors, they know the pulmonologists, they know, you know, the key decision makers and all those uh, institutions. And that helps accelerate uh, the adoption and, and make sure product launch a lot more successful if you have those kind of experienced people behind it. I was going to say, I mean, it would be very hard to, um, you know, put a product, a widget, let's call it, in front of a medical practitioner and say, look, this does this. And the first thing they would obviously say is prove it. How long does that, <laughs> that part take? That is where, you know, we went 
we talked a little bit about revolutionary versus evolutionary. It's mm-hmm. much easier to get doctors to buy in on evolutionary products than revolutionary because the first thing they're going to say, just like you said, Rick, is prove it. Yeah. Because the clinicians can't risk or take chances oh, no. in their medical practice on something that's unproven or un- not, not thoroughly tested. So uh, they're they're uh, very conservative when it comes to uh, <laughs> adopting a new product. I bet you they are. No, I, I I wonder. You know, we're as a global society, if you want to call it that. You know, we all have similar medical conditions, things we're trying to deal with. How wide reaching is is uh, your work and your medical innovations? Oh well, in just respiratory and sleep alone, there's probably over. I'd say close to. 800 to a billion people yeah. <laughs> globally that, that suffer from sleep and respiratory disorders. That's a lot of people, isn't it? You know, there's certainly no shortage of a market there. That's for sure uncertain. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm wondering if we can switch gears a little bit and actually talk a little bit about uh, your book, Some Days Today. Under, you underscored it with uh, a quote, if you have an idea, run with it and get started. I, I think that's a little bit of a telltale sign as to what's inside. Could you share a little bit more with us? Sure. Uh, well, the, the the genesis of the book was I was invited to do a lecture at Stanford University mm-hmm. uh, in Palo Alto. And the audience was primarily uh, doctors and clinicians. And the... Uh, the title of my talk was "The Mother of All The Mother of All Inventions," and it was related to a friend of mine who's a friend now, but I didn't know him at the time. He was the keyboard player for the Grateful Dead, and his mother had gotten ill, and he came up with an invention. And someone connected him to me, and I took his concept, which was just a rough, drawn little uh, thing on a piece of paper and a, and a simple prototype uh, to market. And uh, anyway, from that lecture that I gave to these doctors, I had several of them call me up and say, you know, I, I've got these great ideas, but I just can't seem to get them into the market. I can't get them commercialized. And I remember one doctor, actually, that's the subtitle of my book, my ideas are stuck in my coffee cup. And uh, I sit there and i at my desk and I'm pondering over these things. And in the book, it goes through... Uh, that my firm foundation of belief in, in creating new products is if you have firsthand experience with current technology, who's better than, than a doctor or a nurse or respiratory therapist to come up with the next, you know, the next best or the next better product in the evolution mm-hmm. of what we're doing to improve patient care. So uh, that was part of it was the, the template is, is how to get through or navigate all the different steps and hurdles there are from what I call concept to commercialization. And the other part of it, there's something in the book that I talk about. If you see it, if you see a need, plant a seed. And what that means is if you're a doctor, nurse, clinician, and you see a need that's not being met by current uh, innovation mm-hmm. or by current technology, by all means, step up and come up with the next, you know, the next generation or next best product. So plant that seed, which means that's your invention, that's your idea, nurture it, water it, get passionate about it, and before you know it, your idea, your concept could be commercialized and be used to help and treat millions of patients all over the world. 
So uh, the book, again, it's like a, a game plan. It goes through how to raise capital, how to put together a team. Because a lot of things I've learned, you know, over the years, is doctors don't go to medical school to learn how to be a businessman. No. But a lot of them are good at innovating. They just need some help, you know, on how to, you know, put the basic formula together uh, to form a business or a company. And the other thing, my wife's a doctor, by the way. And, okay. Uh, she is always talking, and when we go to dinner, we talk to other physicians about how they'd like to have uh, the ability to make passive income off their inventions or their ideas. Mm-hmm. And so that's another part of the book. It's like, just realize that if you get an invention, you get a, get a product, whether you license it or you get royalties from it, or you, you know, start a, a whole full-blown company, that's going to provide you with additional income, different, a different revenue stream, passive or active income, but it also helps clinicians become more balanced. They're not just so focused on doing patient care, but they're, they're, they're now have, like we talked about, how do you reduce stress or anxiety? Believe it or not, a lot of doctors, that's the way after work, they reduce anxiety and stress is working on their inventions. Yeah, it just gives them another pathway. And this book is most certainly a, a, a nice starting point for those who are, are wondering about this process. And that, um, you know, hopefully a, a couple of people on the, on the line today are thinking about this, going, you know, I need to get my hand on this book. And uh, with that being said, where will they find this wonderful book of yours? Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. You just go to Amazon. You can download it, a uh, digital version, or buy a hard copy. Uh, or you can get it off of Barnes & Noble. Fantastic. And uh, if, if people want to touch base with you or learn more about you uh, yourself, Ron, where, where would they find you? Uh, my email is ron at rfrichard.com or they can. my website is inventingstartstoday.com. You can Fantastic. contact me through that and schedule an appointment. There's certainly lots of information when you get to inventingstartstoday.com and as per uh, custom, I will make sure that the links back to Ron and his website as well as Amazon are available below this post. No matter where you find this interview, you will find the links back to Ron. And with all that being said, Ron, thank you so very much for spending some time with me on the My Future Business Show today. Thank you, Rick. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the call, then make sure to subscribe, leave a comment, share us with your friends and book your spot on the show at myfuturebusiness.com forward slash interviews. And if you're looking for solutions that will help grow your business, then visit myfuturebusiness.com forward slash shop.